In tonight's episode, we discuss The Raven from the makers of That's So Raven. Flophouse. I'm Dan McCoy. I'm Stuart Wellington. And I'm Elliot Kalen again. Um, you may notice that my voice sounds a little different. I have a cold. That's right. Dan's going through the change. Yep. So, uh, guys, how much sexier does my voice sound right now? Like 40%? Well, for people who find 60%. sickness sexy. Well, when you're staring all, at me like I'm you are gravelly. right now, it's like a million like, percent. Hey. Hey, guys. How you doing? You That's know, you good now. Hey. Lean What's closer. Up? Yep. Flophouse. Come into your ear holes. M- mess up your hair a little bit Ooh, more. Right? <laughs> so for anyone who has a contamination fetish, Dan sounds sexier to you right now. Uh, but my cold cannot dampen my spirits because you know what? It's my favorite time of the year. What's What time is that, Fourth of July? Sukkot, no. which is right now. <laughs> no. Well, it just ended. Sorry, Dan. What did you do for Sukkot Torah? <laughs> no, that's not it. It's Shocktober, everyone. Oh! The Chain h- rattles. Ha, ha, ha. Lightning. Boogan, Skeleton bones. Boogan, boogan. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's the holiest month on the Flophouse calendar. and The uh, only month, as far as I'm concerned, on the Flophouse oh, calendar. Man. That's the that's the month that we watch a slightly higher percentage of horror movies than we would in a normal month. Yep. It's like the it's the one month of the year that the sun is actually shining for me. Mm-hmm. Every other month, 11 months of the year, it's it's dim and cloudy mm-hmm. and yeah. the leaves are rattling against the windows. And, <laughs> I mean, that sounds like Shocktober to me. Uh, yeah, that sounds like what October is for everybody else. Um, but tonight we watched a movie. I wouldn't call it a horror movie per se, but it has it horror th- themes. I would call it a suspense thriller, mm-hmm. like a classy horror movie. It's a, got with with literary overtones. Yeah, a macabre touch, and that movie. Yep, McCorn on the macabre. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one, dude. <laughs> Thank you, AV Club. Put it up top. <laughs> McCorn <laughs> on the macabre. <laughs> Old Elliot quotables, Kalen over here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's his notable quotable for tonight. <laughs> oh, there'll be more. Uh, this this movie was called The Raven, after the Edgar Allan Poe uh, poem of the same name. Not the bird of the same name? So it was just, what, like a film adaptation of a story? Uh, oh, no, it was a not film a... adaptation of many Edgar Allan Poe stories. Like a mash-em-up? Filtered through the laziest possible way to tell a story about a historical figure. Have them solve a series of crimes. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, this was a. That's probably been done before a lot, right? Yeah, Je- George Washington P.I., <laughs> Abraham Lincoln Crook Finder, <laughs> Martin Van Buren Crime Stopper, a lot of president stories. Let's not forget. Let's not forget Detective Napoleon. <laughs> and of course, oh, just one more question. <laughs> and of course, Edison and Chimp, the one where he taught a chimp how to solve crimes with him. Was this an electronic chimp? Or? No, no. It was just regular Edison, regular chimp. Jack Klugman paid, played Edison. Tony Randall played the chimp. It was their follow-up to The Odd Couple. But yeah, it's this. so the basic premise of this movie is that a somebody is committing murders in Baltimore in the late 1840s. Nobody has ever committed a murder in Baltimore. That's the thing. Well, That's he the started twist. it. He started it. 
So everyone who enjoyed The Wire, you're welcome. Yeah. You can thank this movie for starting the trend of the, murders in the Baltimore. Fad. The fad. The Baltimore fat murder fad that continues to this day. But here's what, cha- here's, what <laughs> makes, here's what makes the murders different than your regular gang banging. <laughs> Each murder... It takes the form of a play on a different Edgar Allan Poe story. And so Edgar Allan Poe is forced to investigate. You would think to clear his name, but that gets dropped pretty quickly. No one really thinks he did it. Uh, but he and a very – he's too much of a weakling drunkard. Yes. He is a he is a drunk, crazy person, except he's really only drunk and crazy in one scene yeah, the to opening. establish that. And then he's pretty sedate for most of it. But – he makes a deal with a police detective. I'm going to help you solve these crimes. Then his fiance is kidnapped. Bum, bum, bum. What? He gets a note from the murderer, and it says, you have to solve these crimes and write original Edgar Allan Poe stories around each new murder, or else I will kill your fiance. And at the end of it, I'll reveal her her location or yeah. whatever. Talk about a killer fan, huh? <laughs> Except for all <laughs> of the guys. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. Except for Put all- Stuart up on the quotes board. That's one for Elliot, one for Stuart, zero for Dan. <laughs> no, is, it's uh, night still young. You can change that, Dan. Except all of the murders that uh, the murderer does are already based on Edgar Allan Poe's stories. So the stories that Poe writes are stories that are based on murders <laughs> that are based on his well, stories. They, That's were- the problem with being an artist is people just want you to keep turning out the same shit, you know? Mm-hmm. They don't want you to, like, push the envelope. Exactly. Yeah. And this is like based- the Raven 2. <laughs> Coming, I assume next. Fall. I don't think so. <laughs> uh, I think the the it's actually based in historical fact. Near the end of his life, Edgar Allan Poe released special editions of each of his stories. Mm. So yeah. it was like instead of the Telltale Heart, it was the Telltale Heart with little robots flying around in the background. <laughs> Should have <been> CGI. <laughs> and there was the one where uh, I won. Uh, I won. Fortunato the heart- tried to to wall up Montressor first. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, and uh, the one where uh, the uh, Mask of the Red Death. Went no. <laughs> Actually, I guess that wasn't a special edition. That was just I mean, a prequel. It was pretty special. <laughs> I mean, he really wanted the the heart and the telltale heart to be like squirting blood, like right into your eyeballs. But they didn't have the technology to do that in a story at the time. <laughs> so he had to release the telltale heart, the special edition. Sure. Uh, yeah. they, then they put back in the scene where the guy who kills his mentor in the telltale heart talks to Jabba the Hut. Yeah, using the old footage, and it was tough because, like, at that point, he would have stepped on Chop of the Hutt's tail. So they had to write it in. Had to write it. Had to write it in. Mm-hmm. With some awesome eye bulging out effects. <laughs> so basically, <laughs> literary uh, effects. I mean, <laughs> what we have is a race against time, as Edgar Allan Poe and this very bland captain, uh, police inspector guy. Who is it? That guy from uh, from Luke Evans. From uh, he was one of the Musketeers. So yeah, right? Stuart recognized him from Three Musketeers. Flophouse fave. Another literary classic made better by including crazy stuff that didn't <laughs> exist at the time. Uh, this is another one of those movies where it's the 1840s, but the policeman knows all about forensics and is all CSI all over everything. Uh, but it's a race against time, and. Uh, if they were the audience, they would know pretty early on who the killer was, but they're not the audience. They're the movie, so it takes them a while to figure it out. Um, Should I go into more detail about the different murders? Well, I mean, you can just Or just, just say the end through. of the movie? I mean, we the can f- get back to the murders. Like, <laughs> like, I guess, yeah, just skip to the end. Well, you get to the end, and you think 
for a second, it's the Edgar Allan Poe thinks that the murderer was his newspaper editor, which would make sense. His newspaper editor is the closest to the motive having a motive because the anyone. sales have gone up since these stories have started, and yeah. it's a good red herring. That's a fine red herring. And Edgar Allan Poe discovers his body sitting at the editor's body, sitting at the editor's desk with his wrists just kind of skeletonized. I didn't really quite understand what yeah, happened to him it there. Weird. It was like someone had slashed his wrist and they just kept going until there was just twine connecting his <laughs> hand and his and his arm. Uh, and then it turns out that the villain was the typesetter, ooh, who you saw in the background of a couple it. shots. I totally knew it. I and, called it, right? Mm. Uh, I don't remember you calling it. Maybe. <laughs> you actually thought it was his fiance's that, dad's manservant. That's where the... He has a really sinister mustache. But there's so many mustaches <laughs> in the movie. This is where the stereotype of the bloodthirsty typesetter comes from. <laughs> and, and frankly... As a member of the Typesetter Anti-Defamation League, I'm tired of it. Yeah. For too long, typesetters have been typecast as mm-hmm. murderers. Oh, like when fully, fully 25% of typesetters are not murderers. <laughs> so for that one quarter of typesetters who have never tasted human blood or quenched their thirst to uh, worship the Ebon goddess. Un- uh, unlike uh, unlike the raccoon that look, Edgar Allan Poe's character keeps Oh, Edgar Allan Poe also has a pet raccoon <laughs> who at one point he's dissecting a human heart on his desk and the raccoon, and I guess the raccoon's just nibbling at it or whatever. So that raccoon yeah, you have I mean, to you don't eat is, the whole thing. It takes a while. <laughs> well, no, it's it's thick it tissue. And then also uh, Poe tosses him like a quarter of that heart to eat. Yeah. So he's just like, well, I have this heart. Yeah, only a quarter, though. The rest is for later. Taste <laughs> human flesh. It was the taste of that hideous heart. You take it, raccoon. Uh, Turned out the, the raccoon was the killer at the end. <laughs> that would have been great. Well, well, Edgar and Poe, I'm tired of living as your pet. Now you've been mine. Game of were cat you, and mouse, or rather, raccoon and man. Maybe they were expecting an orangutan to uh, be the murderer. Orangutan. <laughs> There's no G at the end of orangutan. Wow. Who would have thought that two flop houses in a row, <laughs> we would have a le- legitimate reason for saying orangutan? Yeah, I only hope that Shocktober continues in this fashion, and we go and we watch next the orangutan murders. <laughs> Someone is killing orangutans, and it's up to and it's up to a kid and a magic bike to find out who. Turns out it's the bonobo. Who we does. could we could always watch the recently released every which way but loose, right? Yeah, that's true. The recently <laughs> released. <laughs> I mean, geologically, it was very recently released. <laughs> sure. It's a, it's an eye blink <laughs> on the geologic scale. Oh, man. So there's a bunch of murders, and he catches the murderer. He catches the murderer. Well, the murderer, he, in his last story, he said to the murderer, he, the hero of that story offers his life in exchange for his, his beloveds, and the murderer accepts it. And the typesetter goes, no, you can't, no, which is a pretty good way to tip off that he's the murderer. Uh, Edgar Allan Poe goes back to the newspaper office, finds out it's the typesetter. The typesetter says, well, isn't that the offer, your life for hers, and gives Edgar Allan Poe some poison to drink. Poe drinks it. The murderer leaves, and Poe finds that there's a trap door in the floor of the publishing house, which leads to— Telltale heart style. Telltale heart style, T-T-H-S, <laughs> which leads to an evidence dungeon— in mm-hmm. which they're in the floor, his America's fiance. first evidence dungeon. That <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's it's now a tourist attraction. Yeah, there's I a think. plaque there from the historic <laughs> from the, the historic preservation committee. <laughs> the, the first stupid serial killer was here. Until this point, serial killers scattered their evidence all over the place <laughs> so that they wouldn't get caught. But then Reynolds decided to change that. Collect it all for a policeman to find, or perhaps an author. <laughs> And uh, Edgar Allan Poe finds his fiancée, saves her, but then dies, 
before being able to fully communicate the identity of the killer to the police detective. And, they, and he dies in a fashion-fitting historical evidence. Well, I mean, he's, he dies sitting on a park bench in the cold, which is not so different. I mean, the story— Did he die in, like, a ditch in the The story life? I heard was that he was found in a gutter uh, and was in some kind of stupor and was taken to the hospital and died. But, uh, <sighs> the, you know, there's a couple different conflicting stories. I don't remember which one is totally true. Oh, poor, poor guy. Poor drunk. Yeah, poor drunky McPoe. But uh, and but then the typesetter had said, "Have you heard of this new writer in Paris, Jules Verne? He's pretty good." So the next, <laughs> the last scene is the typesetter gets off his train in Paris, gets off his ship in Paris, and we're and, and the audience is like, "Oh, here we go here again." Here comes the sequel, mm-hmm. uh, the Raven Two, the Nautilus, <laughs> and uh, he ran and the criminal gets into a stagecoach. The detective is there and shoots him because the detective, I guess, it's more of a handsome cab than a stagecoach. I mean, we are in Paris, yeah, like old the old west. That cab wasn't the that killer, handsome. The Boom. killer jumps toward the detective, cut the, to black. The, the a shot rings out and the bullet hits a pane of glass for some reason. <laughs> and then there's a shattering la- glass yeah, effect, <laughs> shattering glass themed end credit sequence because like it's movies, a Bond movie apparently. Well, but that's because that's I remember I think High Fidelity, another John Cusack movie, was the first one I remember seeing this in, where they had a full end credit sequence after the movie that looked like it was meant to be the opening credit sequence, and they just decided it's just going to take up time. Why bother? We'll put it at the end. And now you almost never see. Or not almost never, but you very rarely see elaborate opening credit sequences, like on the Bond movies you do. But often you will see elaborate closing credit sequences, and like I don't understand. And, what the and when you do was. see it, it seems to be it's a, a cause for concern or whatever. What when you see it at the beginning? Yeah, yeah, like well, the girl with the dragon tattoo had a really elaborate. Opening oh, I didn't. Know. Sequence, I haven't still it seen makes, that. And you know, Wait, why is that a happens. cause for concern? Yeah, like Casino Royale is a really like elaborate movie. opening credit yeah, sequence. Yeah, the, the Spider Man movies. Have uh, elaborate opening sequences. Yeah, a lot of web enjoyable. effects. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I think it's funny though, as you pointed out, like the typesetter is like Jules Verne. His works remind me a little bit of yours, Mister Poe. And it's like, how? How do <laughs> they're they? Totally they're different. All, they're different. all about fucking murders. Right? I mean, they're <laughs> yeah. about tales of the fantastic. I Jules, suppose. I that's... mean, well, that's the thing. If he had said, "They remind me of yours," not your more famous murder stories, but your less famous ballooning and science fiction <laughs> hoaxes. Because Edgar Allan Poe did write, like he wrote a story called, I think, "A Month in a Balloon." Or something like that, or maybe that's the Vern one. He wrote a story about a balloonist. A lot of Edgar Allan Poe's stories were like the fan- Telltale Balloon. The Telltale <laughs> Balloon. It's called the Balloons in the Room Org. Uh, a lot of his stories were like hoaxes that could be considered very early science fiction that you would print in the newspaper, kind of pretending if they were real or not. So, in a way, this the theme of like him printing stories based on real murders in the newspaper is a clever one, but they don't <clears throat> do it well enough. But yeah, but I mean, it's just like the killer. Being fixated on Poe makes sense as it's written, but then him being fixated on Jules Verne doesn't make sense. Like, I'm going to go and I'm going to carry out some steampunk murders yeah. well, in France. It's and almost like they were like, maybe this movie will make a lot of money. We'll have a sequel with steampunk murders. <laughs> nah, we'll just hail him at the end. So, what? Have you heard of this Charlie Dickens? So do you think the movie could have been any better if they'd made an effort to just have it be like, there's a guy murdering people? In Baltimore, and Ed Allan Allan Poe gets wrapped up in it because, you know, he writes, you know, murder stories or whatever, instead of murders that are specifically about stories he's written. Well, I would, I mean, I like the idea of, I I think they should have kept, not that the murders are based on stories he's written, 
but maybe that he still has to write st- – he still gets the challenge to write stories based on them. I like the yeah, idea yeah. of a killer who is a fan of the author but – and wants to inspire his his hero to write new stories because his mm-hmm. hero has writer's block. But it's still just such a lazy thing to like – uh, well, Edgar Allan Poe's life was really fascinating. He was dogged by depression and melancholy. He came up with some of the most frightening and original visions in American weird literature. Uh, we'll have him solve some crimes. Like, we'll just have him fight a serial killer or some shit. And, well, but also having him solve these crimes that are based on his uh, murders like, or, or his, his tales, like, it plays into that played-out trope of the serial killer who is so super powerful that he can arrange all these crazy yeah. cat and mouse games. Like if he was just a if he was just Pretty a murderer. He's just a regular klutzy serial killer. Always <laughs> making mistakes, getting his foot caught Oops. in a chamber pot. No, but I mean he's a serial killer who like was obsessed with Poe, that's one thing. But if he's gonna like set up a huge fucking pendulum with a razor on it, yeah. then no one noticed yeah, that he like had he, he imported these gears. I will we should, we should talk about we well he had those forged. <laughs> we we should talk about the murders, but I will say I'm glad they didn't go I'm glad they didn't go the route of like a Shakespeare in love type thing where it's like these are the real life murders that inspired Poe's greatest tales, you know, and they've been hidden from people's view for all this time or some nonsense. But yeah. uh, okay, but no, let's, you're right. That would have been shittier. <laughs> but let's talk. Let's talk the murders. So the first murder is based on Murder in the Rue Morgue. There's yeah. a lady with her throat cut and another lady who's dead, stuffed in a chimney, just like in Murder in the Rue Morgue. Makes you think there's going to be a ra- an orangutan. There isn't. Disappointed. I'm next, already kind of mad. <laughs> next murder is that the pendulum one? That's, yep. Yeah. It is an enormous, crazy Sherlock Holmes movie pendulum. Like it's a wild, wild west giant gears pendulum. Yeah, he he like fucking built built the like archway for the pendulum with with bricks and stuff. Yeah, like and it's totally crazy and huge. But the pendulum scene is kind of fun because they really it slashes through that guy's belly a lot. Yeah, like it goes it goes through the belly more times than you would expect. I think, I think blood splatters all over the camera. At least you would expect yeah. it to go through his belly like. Two times, maybe three, but it goes through at least five times. And he's been slashed in half a couple times, and he's still like, ah, <laughs> he has amazing ah, fortitude. I might be able to do it still. And one of the reasons, one of the reasons they think Poe is involved is, in some ways, because the second victim is a literary critic that Poe had a rivalry with through the newspapers. So it's not like they. There's a very brief moment when the police think maybe Poe did this. But then they just change. They meet him yeah. and they're like, "He's kind of a turd. Probably didn't do it. <laughs> yeah. uh, he's kind of a weakling." Then, uh, then they, there's one that's going to be based on the Mask of the Red Death, but that's a that's a red herring to cover up the kidnapping, kidnapping of Elizabeth. The his his fiance Elizabeth, uh, her father throws a big masked ball, mm-hmm. and the ma- guy. Where everyone is harlequins and such. Her her father played by uh, Brendan Gleeson yep. using probably the hokiest Balmer accent I've ever heard. <laughs> all the accents are all over the place in this movie, and I'm glad not everybody did an English accent. But since like by the 1840s, people didn't really in America didn't really, had different accents. But, yeah, like, but Cusack is definitely doing like a half English thing. I don't know. I think he's just doing a more that's mannered old, that's, version of his that's own old voice. Timey. Yeah. He's just doing old timey. Yeah, and the, one thing that is irritating is as there's like a bar fight, and as soon as it starts. Up, oh, cue that Irish fiddle music. It's the 19th century. There's no music that exists except Irish fiddle. And look, I like Irish fiddle music. I like fiddle music in general. It's fast-paced. It, it gives a lot of energy to a scene. Uh-huh. It's but good for a brawl. It's good for a brawl. Yeah. But every 19th century thing you see, it's shot in the same color palette of like 
of like dank greens and golden browns, and it has Irish fiddle music. Well, that was they didn't have bouncers back then. All they knew <laughs> is that music had charms to soothe the savage beast. So it's like there's a fight breaking out. <laughs> Quick, play that fiddle. Exactly. Actually, it's pretty accurate. That probably is the kind of thing that I they think, did. I think in uh, the original version of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, where there's the bar barroom brawl, they use Irish fiddle music as well. It's like for a while. The the go to music for a brawl was banjo music, and then it was like the band. They were like, "Let's retire the banjo, lift it up into the rafters. We'll bring down the Irish fiddle, and then someday they'll they'll retire that and they'll bring in like an accordion or a, man, a or something." Hammer dulcimer, <laughs> yeah, a hammer dulcimer. They'll bring just a snare drum. That'll be the new brawl music. Yes, yeah, hot snare, hi hat. It also is used for chase scenes. Uh, but then there were a couple of murders oh, that so were the, like... the Mask of the Red Death, no actual murder Lesser there. known... Yeah. What were they? Like real, lesser known well, real, real uh, stories? Is that what... Well, there's one that's based on... That makes reference to Casca the Montiato, where yeah, a woman that's is... later on. But later on. But before that, there's one... There's a story called The Case of M. Voldemar. Right. Where a, char- a character is in half... He's not dead yet, but it's through a, uh, some kind of like hypnosis... He is halfway between life and death, and he can still speak. Okay. And they kind of reference that by ha- by having the serial killer leave a cutout tongue for Edgar Allan Poe to find. Yeah. Uh, then they find. Then there's the mask of the the uh, Casca de Amontillado. Yeah. And are there other ones? I don't know. I think that I might be. I can't remember if there are any more murders. I after kept that. expecting there to be like a hop frog one where they uh, they uh, cover someone in pitch and put feathers on them. And they don't really do a telltale heart one necessarily, except that. It turns out she's buried under the floor, you know. Yeah. So, Poe. <clears throat> yeah. Poe stories. Poe so, stories. What are you going to do? It, uh, Still entertaining as entertaining today as they were 160 years ago. Yeah. I, if anything, the, the movie reminded us of something we liked. That's true. It, and uh, the, it was like a – at times it was like a weak retread of like From Hell. But at other times yeah. it was like, oh, yeah, this does remind me of Edgar Allan Poe. Yep. I, mean, I like that. We we were we were a little disappointed because in the first scene, I would describe. I, I said that uh, that uh, John Cusack's performance was kind of like Nicolas Cage doing Robert Downey Jr. in the Sherlock Holmes movies. Like it was at at that pitch, high, and then very high pitch. Later on, it calmed down, and I was disappointed that it calmed down to the degree that it did. Yeah, it's too bad because it's probably in some well. To really get a good Poe, he should have been swinging wildly between manic and and depressive, like really quiet and calm down and sad, and then like <clears throat> yelling at people and drunk. Like that would have been more fun. Not in real life, obviously. Poe was a handful, very hard to deal with. But <laughs> sure. but uh, oh, I had the stories I could tell you about Poe. Oh, me and Poe, the times I had with Poe, uh, me and EAP. But uh, I used to call him Wyatt Eep. But. Uh, <laughs> The okay. <laughs> when would he call him that? Like at dinners and yeah, like if I was I, if I called him up on his phone, when you he, he, he had, one, he had we had those next tells, so it was like chirp chirp, Wyatt Eep, where you at? And then oh, he'd, yeah, yeah. he'd say, "Good friend, I am at the liquor house. I'll meet you there. I'll meet you there, Holmes." Poe Poe has become the mayor of the liquor house. <laughs> yeah, he was big on Foursquare. <laughs> yeah. But uh. He was, but for most of the movie, Edgar, uh, Edgar Allan Poe. For most of the movie, John Cusack is just really yeah. He became he became he, oh he really became the trans- transformed. It's like Lloyd, it's like a more mannered Lloyd Dobler in a goatee. Like he's not yeah. that exciting or interesting, and he's fairly Van low Dyke energy. Van Dyke was doing all the acting, is what you're saying? Yeah, you know? Dick Van Dyke was doing all the acting for him. <laughs> no, but it, it it did feel like John Cusack 
did a little bit of like sleepwalking through the movie, you know, which is too bad because that first scene, you're like, this is going to be good. Oh, boy, this is vampire's be, kiss level acting. He but. was going to be the splash of color in an otherwise completely drab movie. Otherwise very drab movie. Because yeah. I love Brendan Gleeson. He's boring except for his wacky accent every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, Luke Evans, just like in uh, Three Musketeers, is basically yeah. a cardboard cutout. Yeah, the that girl lady is- was pretty, but she was stuck in a box most of the movie. And while I do like pretty ladies stuck in boxes, yeah, you box all and Helena is your favorite movie. Yeah, <laughs> but mostly because you think it's about Helen of Troy becoming a boxer, which it's not. You've seen it many times, but it's every time like... I trick myself. <laughs> Maybe this time. How can they punch that beautiful face? That's <laughs> how she wins. But yeah, everyone's got. Well, everyone's at that low level of non-energy that you find in a lot of movies nowadays, where it's like it feels like more like uh, look. We've got the concept. Let's just go through the motions, and we'll be done with it. And there are a couple of neat. There are a couple of images in the movie I actually kind of liked. They fa- they find a body that has its mouth sewn up, and they have to cut the threads, and then they pull a pocket watch out. And the pocket watch's hands are set to like a longitude that is on a map somewhere. Sure. But uh, I like that image of them pulling the watch out of the corpse's mouth, and then at one point. The fiance is buried alive in a coffin, but there's like a hole in the wood. She's managed to dig a little bit of the dirt out, and the kidnapper puts his mouth up to the hole and is just kind of like whispering something, but you can't, at least with on Dan's TV, I couldn't quite make out what it was. And there's something very creepy about just this disembodied mouth just whispering something incomprehensible from the other side of a wall. Mm-hmm. But other than that, like those brief moments are not are not borne aloft by the <laughs> structure between betwixt them um yeah i mean like this movie it 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 puts together a lot of things that i find irritating in modern movie which is the uh the juxtaposition of the modern and the old and the idea of like let's take a figure that existed you know abraham lincoln vampire hunter style and stick him in this adventure and like let's have a serial killer who has all these basically magical powers to predict what's going to happen and unlimited resources to set up his little cat and mouse game yeah he's he's not just two steps ahead of the the police he's like 80 steps ahead of the police at every point any one of those things is a cliche, but could be forgivable in a movie if the movie is good otherwise. But when you put them all together, you, you've created a movie that only exists in movie world. Yeah, but let's look at some of the positives. A lot of funny hats, a lot of funny mustaches. Yeah, especially the uh, the fire, fire chief. Mm-hmm. Chief fire ex- he inspector. He uh, those uh, mutton chop mustaches. <laughs> like yeah. he's daring the fire to burn them off. There's a part where John Cusack's house is burned down by the killer. And yeah, and there's a fire chief who has a big mustache. What I like is that his raccoon clearly survives the blaze, and I would have liked to see that story, how the raccoon (laughs) escapes. Well, that's the other thing. Edgar Allan Poe basically moves in with the police detective because his house is burned down, brings his cage with a raccoon in it, and we never see like a scene of the detective frustrated with his new messy roommate having to deal with like detective waking up in bed. There's a raccoon on his face. Like they, you know, play up the, the odd coupleness. Does the detective own that raccoon now? Is that uh, you have a trained I think raccoon? That's Baltimore law. Yeah, now that he's dead. You have a trained raccoon. You gotta you gotta use it. You gotta that's gold. That's yeah, green come on. gold. That's movie gold. Just like the hit film Over the Hedge. <laughs> One of the few movies about a raccoon. <laughs> 
Uh, but yeah, I think I want to think what was happening when the screenwriters were like, "Let's give Poe a raccoon." <laughs> it's possible. I wonder if was that a real thing? I don't remember. Know? I don't. Maybe like, he did have a pet raccoon. I don't remember. Elliot's brother David, guy. email us and tell us whether or not that was a well, real thing. The Baltimore Ravens are named after Edgar Allan Poe's poem, so maybe my brother knows knows what if he had a pet raccoon. But the, yeah, it's it it does seem like a weird thing to do do to like humanize Edgar Allan Poe by giving him this silly pet and then not doing anything with it. Like having the raccoon go, when something crazy happens. Yeah, Bandit, bandit, find Elizabeth. Find him. <laughs> I would have loved that. Sniff her out, girl. I don't think his name was Bandit. I, I just name, assume all raccoons the name of the raccoon in uh, King of the Hill, I think. Because <laughs> yeah. they look like little bandits. Yeah. Because <laughs> they've got a mask, yeah. A little mask, maybe a handkerchief around its neck. <laughs> yep. mm-hmm. That's the way raccoons always accessorize. <laughs> Dangly earring, maybe a bouffant wig. we <laughs> got Petticoat. a six-shooter. <laughs> Pearl-handed six-shooter. I like this cross-dressing cool <laughs> raccoon we got. <laughs> maybe rocket raccoon or whatever. What? Isn't that your superhero? No, Rocket like Raccoon a is, a su- is a Marvel That's superhero actual, character. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He'll be in the Guardians of the Galaxy Mark. movie in theaters 2015. I can be Rocky Crocodile in the World of Tomorrow, <laughs> the hit is... film that features mainly mainly just uh, Carla Gugino and uh, Gina Gershon nude, but also it's the future. <laughs> it's, it <laughs> seems I, weird because like, the title would suggest a children's movie. <laughs> no, it is <laughs> not. There is explicit nudity. Not a, was Sky Captain a children's movie? No. <laughs> explicit. Sit nudity and I assume lesbian themes. Oh, I mean they go beyond themes. <laughs> it's, not, it's not it's not subtext. It's text. Yeah, it's like uh, like that femalian where they trick uh, kids like aliens. <laughs> yeah, people love aliens. They love kids oh, love females. This will be a good uh, this will be a good role model for the, the females, the female kids who want to be aliens. <laughs> female kids. There's so, I don't know if there's a word for a female kid, but it'll be for those. Boils and female kids. <laughs> Girls who want to grow up to be aliens is what I'm saying. You know? Look, we can't be species. Let species be the only role model for them. Not a positive role model. Also, uh, a very breast-based female alien species. Wait, what? I'm, wait, have you ever seen a female alien in a movie that didn't have breasts? Come I on, guess, these I are mean, for... you got Life Force, too, also very nude. Yeah. Yeah, I think all <laughs> I don't know why this just turned into Dan's catalog of nude female aliens. The board... I wasn't the guy who mentioned species. You like brought three. up Rocket Crocodile. <laughs> of course. I brought up Rocket Crocodile, so it's my fault we're now talking about nude female aliens. I was talking I about species more because Species 2 is really weird, where the male species goes around and keeps banging chicks, and they immediately explode with a baby. Yeah. It's really gross. That was well. That was super trying to even up. the even the ginger ginger it's scales. Totally unfair. It's super fucked up and gross. <laughs> well, so species two was the movie we watched. <laughs> so I guess what we're saying is, the Raven two, more raccoon. Yeah, of less course. police inspector, more raccoon. I think that's. I mean, anything that has a raccoon and a police inspector in it, that's the note I would give. Is more raccoon. Yeah. <laughs> what if the raccoon was the police inspector? <laughs> Brilliant. Can I write you a check for a million dollars right now? I'm not stopping you. <laughs> okay. You might want to wait uh, I'm gonna post about 100 years, check. To, yeah, 100 years to cash it. I'm going to post-date this check to after the heat death of the universe. <laughs> but then go ahead and cash it. And spend it on whatever thing with no energy there is left in the universe. Spend it on, I don't know, dark matter? Uh, what, what's oh, that's going to be very cheap at the time. I can buy a lot of dark matter. So that's so probably... Raccoons? Oh, Here's the thing I'll mention. Okay. 
Uh, I will give it this. It's more. It was a movie. It's a movie <laughs> that was filmed. It is more based on. It wasn't Ale- two hours longer. Uh, it wasn't longer than two hours. It was short, yeah. slightly yeah. shorter than two hours. Uh, it justifies its connection to Edgar Allan Poe much better than the 30s movie, The Raven, which is a, stars Bela Lugosi and Boris Karloff. And Bela Lugosi is just a mad killer who likes Edgar Allan Poe, but doesn't like – he just happens to talk about how much he likes Edgar Allan Poe. Otherwise, it's not connected. But that movie, better than this one. So I don't know what yeah. to tell you. I think it's time uh, to give our final judgments on The Raven is this a good bet? Wait, hold on. What? It's October, Dan. It's October. Hold on. What are you doing with these uh, other 11 months of the year ratings that you're about to go into? We start over. Start all the way over. It's October, so we have to say if it's spookily good bad, no, 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 no. scarily horror-following. No, no, no. no, I've got the I've got the October categories. If it's frighteningly farty. What's this? What's this movie? <laughs> frighteningly farty? Yeah. Totally <laughs> scarifying. Okay, scarifying. Was it frighteningly funny? Or was it totally snorifying? <laughs> Run every movie fits into one of those three categories. <laughs> every movie ever made in history. I think I could have, totally have to say Casablanca was totally scarifying. <laughs> and I think I'm gonna say, uh, let's see. Well, Schindler's List wasn't really frighteningly funny. But it was spookily good bad. <laughs> I think no. yeah. Spookily good bad. No. Horrifyingly not so good. Totally scarifying. <laughs> <laughs> Frighteningly funny, or nightmarishly, or eh. totally snorifying. Which Stuart, one? you go foist. Uh, man, I'm on the spot. I'm going to say snorifying. That's one of them, right? Yeah, that's he one. just okay. said it. It was super snorifying. Uh, yeah, I mean it. It there was no there was no life in this in this movie, uh, and all the blood was CGI, and there weren't enough babes. So not enough blood, not enough babes. That's two Bs that we're missing for Stuart. I'm going to say that, like, for me... What's weird is Stuart's other th- other B is bagels. Yeah. Which is optional. For me, this was two-thirds snorifying, one-third scarifying. Because I got to say, like, I'm grading this on the Flophouse curve, uh, which we, we've watched so many movies <laughs> that any small piece of joy is amplified. But I wasn't bored by this movie the way I normally am by movies we watch. I thought that it, it had certain qualities that were enjoyable. I I liked some of the Poe references. I thought that the direction was not bad. But by and large, it was pretty stupid. Uh, yeah, I think I'm going to give it not one-third to two-third, but maybe 90% snorifying, 10% scarifying, <laughs> if I can mix it that way. Like, yeah, it wasn't, it was not, it was pretty lifeless and stilted and uninspired. But it was like entertaining in fits and starts, and it, it passed the time a little better than some of the other garbage that we've watched for this for this podcast. And we haven't even brought this up, but this is probably the most Nicolas Cagey role not played by a non Nicolas Cage. It's a missed opportunity. If that had been Nicolas Cage in that movie, it would instantly rocket up to at least frighteningly funny, if not <laughs> totally scarifying. Because John Cusack, like Lord, love him, but he's. He can't. He can't bring the crazy. He like, doesn't have uh, the energy. That's part of the problem. He's great for a movie like Gross Point Blank, where he's kind of a laid back character. Sure, but for a movie like or when, he, and the when Raven, he was the high fidelity guy, his name was High H Y Fidelity. Sure, High High M Fidelity. Oh God, I didn't know he was yeah, Jewish. Fidelowitz. <laughs> <laughs> they changed to Ellis Island when they bought a record store. <laughs> 
so this this is the bit where we talk about new possible bits, right? Where we no, this is the part of the yeah. Podcast. Actually, I have a great idea for a new bit. It's okay. called "If This Movie Was Starring Clowns," and we talk about <laughs> how would the movie be different if clowns were the stars, like professional clowns. Or? Yeah, like okay, the best professional people... car, clowns. Emmett Probably Kelly, French, right? Uh, what? They'd probably be French. Some of them. Though, right? I mean, Marcel Marceau, if you consider him a clown, miming is kind of a different art than clowning. Okay, thanks. Uh, that guy who's with the Ringling Brothers Circus, I think his name is Balto or Beppo or something. So it's how would this movie be different man. if it was clowns? Probably funnier, right? That's Yeah, that's a good bit. I was going to pitch a bit where we just play the movie, uh, specific scenes, and we remember parts of the movie. We go, <laughs> remember that part? <laughs> You know, the audience would really get a kick out they of us remembering that. the things we just saw. Because they'd remember it through us. Because you know what? I forget half this shit when we when we do these things. Like, yeah, we can I'm tell. drinking and checking my, my phone the whole time, so I don't really know what's going on. I'm going to pitch a bit where what we do next is we read letters from listeners and re- we react to them. That I one's all right, like that but one, what yeah. about this? It's a bit called If John Cusack Was a Bear. Okay. <laughs> Imagine the scene well, like, in Say Anything where he holds up the boombox if a bear had been doing it. Frightening. They would have shot him. <laughs> if only to save the life of the boombox. This letter is titled... Oh, are we on the letters segment now? Yeah, we are. This letter is titled uh, Wushu slash John Hurt. And it's from Kevin, last name withheld. He says, Dear Flophouse, I just started listening and I love the show. However, two topics... Thanks, keep, Kevin. <coughs> two topics keep coming up. Wushu John, and John Hurt. John Hurt, parentheses, Spaceballs, and Wushu... <laughs> Best known for his cameo in Spaceballs. That's a reference to another movie he's in. Sir John Hurt of Spaceballs. <laughs> Sir John Hurt, for your excellent work in Spaceballs, I make thee a knight of the realm. Arise, Sir John Hurt. And Wushu Ar- fighting... Arise, Sir Spaceballs. <laughs> John Hurt and Wushu fighting parentheses the Three Musketeers. Since I was so disappointed with the finale of the Lost Experience, I'm excited to see that you are giving us these clues to follow to find out the answers to Flophouse mysteries you won't have time to address on the show proper. Yep, and Orangutan will be involved so, too. <laughs> John Hurt plus Wushu fighting clearly has something to do with V for Vendetta, but I don't know how that connects to Flophouse. I wait the next clue. That's from Kevin Last. Well, this movie, The Raven was directed by the man who directed V for Vendetta. James McTeague, yeah. So uh, put that pu- puzzle piece in the puzzle box. So if you want to build an empire of turds, he's doing a pretty good job, <laughs> right? You, yes, if you want to make a series of stilted, slow, boring movies that are uh, should be much more exciting and much faster and paced. And shittier than their source material. Yeah. I mean, the source material for this would be what, like all the works of Edgar Allan Poe? Yeah, probably, right? Yeah, I guess so. It'd be hard to make a movie as good as that. Damn. Uh, go on. Uh, Lettre no, numero dos. Uh, this uh, letter is titled Sound and Sight and Soundless Plus Emmys. It's from Michael, last name withheld. Hey, Michael, thanks for writing in. Hey, man. He said, I was wondering what your guys' take was on Vertigo topping Citizen Kane on the Sight and Sound list. Also, as a Flophouse superfan, I'd like to wish you guys luck in the Emmys, although it seems you won't need much luck. The Daily Show seems to own that category yearly. Well, I want to say thank you for the luck. Uh, (laughs) I'm still working on Miami. I haven't got it yet. But, you know, I'm fucking due at this point. You will. Uh, And this letter obviously predates our Emmy wins. Yeah. I I wanted to mention that in part because... uh, It took a long time to ship. Postage was rough. (laughs) I don't know. Where'd it come from? I I just want to call out to some folks who were uh, saying that they didn't see us on the Emmys or they thought they saw us on the Emmys. Yeah, we were not there. We were not at the primetime Emmys. The uh, our writing category was in the uh, the creative arts 
non-televised this year. Well, it was televised on the Reels it was channel. On the Reels channel that if you get a uh, premium movie package, you might have Reels. It might get bundled in. Uh, uh, do, we were Our category was not in the primetime Emmys this year due to a agreement between the our union and the uh, producers of the Emmys that we won't get into right now. But regardless, uh, I can say it is a stupid agreement that I don't support. Wow. <laughs> Wow. Deal oh, with man, it, specials writers. But uh, <laughs> the so, but thank you for the congratulations. We had a lot of fun. Dan won his first Emmy and got a little bit of press about it. Yeah, and, it was a uh, daily variety. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm, lo- I'm looking at it right now. Daily That's variety, right, right over there. And I'm trying to think if there's any exciting. And uh, we passed by Mindy Kaling on the plane as we walked on That's with our exciting. Emmys. That's pretty exciting. And yeah. she tweeted about us. Yeah, star of the Mindy Project. Among other things, yeah. But, I mean, uh, best known for that, though, right? Uh, well, she will be ten seasons from now. More importantly, though, the sight and sound question. Well, I will point people, if I can take a moment, to the Flophouse Facebook page where there was quite a back-and-forth discussion of the sight and sound list. About hamburgers and steaks? Uh, no, mm-hmm. it was not a hamburger and steaks Whether the discussion. hamburger or the steak should top the sight and sound list for best <laughs> the, piece of meat. Stop the... <laughs> and, uh, uh, but we had a long discussion about it that I thought was very helpful. Uh, for anyone who's interested in it. But I will say, speaking for myself, I have no problem at all with Vertigo topping the list. I love Citizen Kane. I love Vertigo. They're both great. Vertigo is almost as perfect as a movie can get, in my opinion. It's just beautiful in almost every way, and haunting as well, in a way that you would not be able to do the same story quite as well in another medium. I mean, they, they they both do different things. I mean, I think that Vertigo might have... Like a little more unity as a film, like and it does it 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 has this weird swell of a romantic emotion, but uh, Citizen Kane takes advantage of all the components of being a film in a way that well, except was except for CGI three D effects. <laughs> in a way that was obviously very new. Someday, yeah, someday we'll, we'll get there. No, I mean, yeah, I mean, there there was Citizen Kane special edition when there's more little robots floating <laughs> around. No, they're both amazing movies, but like. There are some movies that if they had become the number, like Tokyo Story is a very good movie, but if that had been made number one, and that's always a sight and sound top ten list favorite, I would have been very surprised and not agree with it. But Vertigo, it's hard to hard to take issue with. It's just a beautiful movie. I've seen it, I don't know how many times now, uh, many double digits, and each time it's just like rapturous. So, um, yeah, what well, you guys said. I mean, you guys all know my stance on movies. Yeah, I know. Castle Freak. <laughs> Invisible Maniac, Head of the Family. <laughs> Which one of those is the best? Big Trouble that's, in China. That's, that's, for the God, that's for the gods to decide. I would to love if me. Sight and Sound contacted just Stewart to submit his top ten list. And and that was like just the vote needed to, to, to right. nudge Invisible Maniac into the top ten. Sorry, rules of the game. You fell out. Invisible Maniac is in. We'd finally learn which had the bigger part, the greater part in Stuart's heart, though Castle Freak or the Invisible Maniac. He would just write them all in at number one. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, this letter is titled "Theme Songs" from Lawrence Last Name with Hell. Probably a request to sing one, Ellie. I would think so. <laughs> flop house time! It's flop house time. Don't commit a crime, cause it's flop house time. Wait till it's over, then commit that crime. Wait, Cut that. us in for a half of the take. We'll provide an alibi, <laughs> flop house. Just say you were listening to the flop house. Right, the this. judge will let you off the charges, but again. Give us half. Make we're that sixty percent. Flop house time right tonight. Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> You're recording this as evidence. Not evidence. Uh, this. I wasn't even here. I've got an <laughs> alibi. <laughs> he writes, uh, "Dear 
Autocrator's Flopericanicus. I recently became addicted to your podcast and buzzsawed my way through your back catalog in about a week. I, however, I have one complaint. Five years of work in one week. <laughs> <laughs> Although your podcast itself has a fairly jaunty theme, the individual floppers don't have their own theme songs. Depriving Opening you of up a- Pandora's box, are you, Lawrence? <laughs> guitar, cue guitar squeal, Dan. Come on. Depriving you of a valuable opportunity for some WWF-style showmanship as you triumphantly <laughs> enter the room, run around the edges of the table, working the crowd, then triumphantly take your seats before your microphones. Here are my suggestions. I will mention the crowd you're referring to is Dan's cat, <laughs> who would really like it if we would just shut up and not bother her. She would be confused. She usually runs out of the room if we're watching a movie that's too loud. Um, but he says, here are my suggestions and their justifications. Dan. God's Godzilla's theme. Love it. Yes. The best <laughs> dun, flopper. Dun, 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 the best dun, flopper dun, dun, gets the best song. What? Yep. A testament. Whoa. Whoa. Somebody wrote that into the letter, I guess. <laughs> yeah. A testament to his majesty, determination, and immense destructive power. <laughs> it's true. Elliot. And your breath certainly is radioactive. <clears throat> Elliot. High five. Mommy, can I go out and kill tonight? And <laughs> Love it. Love it. Because of his reedy voice and obsessive nature huh? that remind me of a serial killer. <laughs> Wait a minute. Stuart, right. Turbo Lover by Judas Priest. Love it. These are all great yep. choices. In honor of Naked Sundays and is a reportedly enormous penis. <laughs> <laughs> the Flophouse House Cat, Party All Night by Quiet Riot. Not a fan. This one is so obvious it doesn't require an explanation. <laughs> I hope this keeps up the energy levels and creates a closer bond between you and your fans. Yours, Lawrence, last name with hell. Well, those are all all mostly good choices. How come when the idea of a, a theme song for Dan came to me, I immediately was thinking of like the sound of one of uh, like a Peanuts teacher talking like an adult. <laughs> like, wah, 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 I mean, that's not a song, but yeah, that's kind of what it I sounds like. I mean, it's like. musical, though. I mean, the instrumental of Christmas time is here would not be bad. It would capture my melancholy. Yeah, that what the do 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 yeah, do sure. do that one. I think, but that's not really. You can't run around Dan's living room dancing to that. He he would shuffle looking at the floor, moping about, gesticulating in front of the cat. I think maybe fish heads would work for you, Dan. <laughs> what about the 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 title theme from Big Trouble in Little China? Big well, that's, Trouble. <laughs> we run. I think you're run wishing into on a star the mystic right now. night. It's pretty good. I gotta say, those are pretty good choices. Uh, yeah, I think if, if we, I think to, the if next you time you wanted to choose something for yourselves, rather, I mean, like these are all good choices, but I have to open it up if you wanted to choose. I would say else. some like some like classy jazz or something for <laughs> Elliot. Or? No, I would for, I would want either um, Exciter by Judas Priest, sure, um, or Ace of Spades, <laughs> or Ace of Spades by Motorhead, pretty much, or the my the theme song I used to use when I used to do one man show in the city a couple times a month was the Quantum Leap theme. <laughs> And I would act pretty out good. my emotions during the during the song. <laughs> it's pretty good, but uh, but Ace of Spades would be pretty sweet. I mean, for me, anything like just give me some Eddie Van Halen noodling a guitar, <laughs> something I can do some karate kicks to. Sure, uh, something I can like try and tear at my clothing. I mean, you Turbo know. Lover would be pretty good for that. Turbo, yeah, yeah. I mean, it takes a little bit to to start up. Tough to mess with success, you know. And Dan, what would you like besides the Peanuts theme or the Peanuts Christmas time theme? Or the Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, right, Big Trouble in Little China. I think, I think we've covered it. Do you want to go again? I mean, we <laughs> keep around to it. I think uh, maybe the Ninja Turtles theme. <laughs> sure. Instead of Turtles, they say Elliot. <laughs> yeah, just me, Mr. Belvedere theme, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I think uh, for Dan, the two of us, you and me, Stuart, would do an acapella version of the Save by the Bell theme. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, or maybe my two dads. Uh, I think when, when we do a live show, we have to enter to these songs now. I think that's a pretty good idea. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, we should plug our live show. Yeah, November 2nd, I believe. November 2nd. Friday night, 8 p.m., 92 uh, I Tribeca. Friday night in, in New York City, New York. New York City, New York, Manhattan, 92 I Tribeca, 200 Hudson Street. Us, the I Love Bad Movies crew, it's will like be showing you right? the movie Bratz. <clears throat> you've heard about it. You've seen about it. Mm-hmm. You've smelled about it. You've loved about it. Bratz, the movie that is the apex of Flophouse movie ratings, although Journey to the Center of the ma- Mysterious good, yeah. Magnificent Island is pretty good. But uh, yeah, we'll be showing Bratz with commentary by us, presentation by Matt Xenia from I Love Bad Mo- Movies, Meowvies, and uh, <laughs> Meowvies, <laughs> and uh, it'll be 8 o'clock Friday, November 2nd. So this So letter, don't tell any paparazzos. Yeah. <laughs> just, and, co- just you come. Don't bring I mean, the paparazzos. Paparazzo is paparazzi. It's paparazzi. <laughs> and also, if this this Pepperoncini. is this coming up, is this being put up this weekend? This episode, yes. Uh, then you'll have one more chance to see my sketch show at ninety two I Tribeca Thursday, October eighteenth, with special guest Al Madrigal, nine p.m. Uh, Enemy guest. <laughs> letter is titled IMDb notes for Castle Freak. Matt, last name withheld. He says, hey, floppers. Hey, Matt. On IMDb, under the Parents Guide page, the only mention of the titular (laughs) Castle Freak and his junk is as follows. (laughs) There's a full frontal male nudity from the Castle Freak throughout the final third of the movie, although it's all fake and he has no penis. (laughs) I was unaware that there needed to be a delineation between the nudity being fake and the freak has no penis. (laughs) But these are the rules the IMDb governs by. you hire a guy with no penis to play the part? Also, under the frightening slash intense scenes tab, there is this other gem. A character is blind, and there are several scenes when she is unaware that the castle freak is in the same room as her. Somehow, the intensity of the scene isn't given justice by this IMDb description. I mean, it just sounds like horror Matt movies. Matt, withheld. So nothing about ding-dong ripping? Mm, uh, I, think, I think my original, <laughs> my original comment stands. Well, to that point... I would like to read our last letter of the night. Oh, does the Castle Freak debate continue? <laughs> it's from Jordan, last name with help. Oh, Jordan it's is going to step into Stuart Freak Gordon, Gate. last name with help. <laughs> <laughs> Stuart Gordon, last name. Dear Flophouse. <laughs> I know there is no ding-dong ripping scene, but I can't believe Stuart guessed my intention. <laughs> Unfortunately, the scene was cut from the original script due to budget considerations. We could not afford the ding-dong prosthetic. <laughs> That would be ripped off in place of his real Sometimes I wish my parents had uh, named me after Stuart Gordon, even though there's no way they would have. <laughs> no. <laughs> Sometimes I wish they na- my parents had named me Ding Dong Prosthetic. <laughs> uh, this last letter of the evening is titled Ding Dong Gate. Okay. Uh, yep. It well, says, what Dear Floppers, <laughs> I was horrified to hear about Ding Dong Gate while listening to the Passion Play episode of The Flophouse, so I took it upon myself to help redeem Stuart by delving into my own collection of horrible VHS movies from the 80s and unearthed Night of the Demon, a god-awful film about Bigfoot killing a bunch of hapless idiots in plaid shirts. Luckily for Stuart, Night of the Demon contains one scene where Bigfoot rips off a biker's <laughs> ding-dong as he is urinating on a bush, so now Stuart can recommend Night of the Demon as his go-to ding-dong ripping film choice. I don't think it's the same. He's got to rip off his own ding-dong. Just to confirm what I've said. I've included a link to the aforementioned scene. I'll put that up on the site. Please do. Love the show. Great work. <laughs> Warmest regards, Jordan. Last name withheld. Thanks, now, Jordan. I, I read that just to uh, dispel a myth that we are specifically 
seeking out <laughs> ding dong movies ding dong ripping cuz i'm let's, sure there's any number i'm sure there's any number of yeah, south so korean or japanese movies we could watch i'm pretty sure in street trash there's a scene where ding dong gets ripped off and they play keep away with it and of course there's the immortal scene in snakes on a plane where the snake bites the guy's ding dong and he delivers the best line in cinema history but this oh, is, get off my dick <laughs> but this myth that we are somehow cataloging Sounds ding like dong rippings night. And only giving our highest ratings to films. Well, not us, dong. just Stuart. <laughs> yeah, just me. Yeah, let's, I think I take the blame. But I, I think it's Stuart is so confident in his own <laughs> ding dong that he can enjoy a scene of a ding dong being ripped off where many men would find it painful. He has to no watch. castration anxiety, is what you're saying. No, nope, because Stuart has multiple penises. My ding dong would bite that snake back if it attacked me, <laughs> even if it was like a cobra or I don't know, a manaconda or a cobra commander, even a manaconda. <laughs> manaconda. I thought that was what you called yours. No, I don't. I don't call it that at all. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, we're not – our podcast is not some kind of a, like, repository for clips for, of movies where penises get torn off of bodies, nor is it a place where you should send your slash fiction featuring us. <laughs> so that's two things this podcast is not, but otherwise I mean, it's everything. We appreciate the former. We don't like, necessarily appreciate we, the I latter. appreciate the if you effort write, that goes If into you want to write fan fiction about us, have us, like, be doing just cool stuff, like Stopping being, a serial being really killer. good friends. Stopping yeah, a serial being killer. Being friends and just hanging out. Maybe, Maybe we're just, a, like, skateboarding around, solving crimes. Yeah, or like, like protecting w- a rec center from an evil zombie overlord. Yeah, or there was one time that Stuart and Dan and I had sex. Just write a story no, about no. that. No, that's no, stop. Oh, is that the type you were talking? Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Have a story where we go travel in time and meet our favorite historical figures. It cheapens figures. the sex we had. It cheapens <laughs> it out. To, to air our dirty laundry that way. Sure. Why no flop house and space stories? Why no mm. flop house in the time of the pharaohs stories? <laughs> what, what about if, the flop house rock band that we have? Yeah, come on. What if Penny met the flop house? I love it's all been, these The question's ideas. been asked. Who's going to provide the stories? Who will tell these stories to our children? Mm-hmm. Some kind of an oral tradition, I would hope. I want to see a Flophouse story with an ironic O. Henry-esque ending. <laughs> yeah. How about this? In honor of this Why movie, your the Owl Creek Bridge did it all along. <laughs> it was the Owl Creek Bridge that done it. <laughs> uh, one more thing, Owl Creek Bridge. Uh, you said that the man escaped and made it back to his wife. But uh, isn't that the man dangling from you right now? <laughs> Case closed. <laughs> Columbo solved the case of the Owl Creek Bridge murders. <laughs> Ambrose Beers, take him away. He's like the duty officer or something. <laughs> uh, so uh, how about how about in honor of this movie? If anyone wants to write Flophouse fan fiction, maybe we're in a macabre Edgar Allan Poe style story. I think everyone here would be more comfortable with a story where we died than a story where we had sex with each other. And leave all the sex as subtext. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Uh, so this is the part of the podcast where we talk about good movies that and, we've oh, seen. That I we thought would like you were still recommend. talking about Ding Dong Ripping. <laughs> oh, no. The Ding Dong Ripping is done. The it's Ding a- Dong Ripper. <laughs> a stroke again. Is that um, a new character you're working on? Or Yeah, yeah. He's called Jack Off the Ripper. <laughs> Just workshop. <laughs> and it's for my one-man show about the neighborhood I grew up in. <laughs> <laughs> where I play seven different neighborhood characters. They all have different accents. It's crazy. So cosmopolitan. This is part of the show where we we talk about movies that we would like to recommend. Uh, Rather than tear down, we want to build up. Stuart, is there a film that you saw recently that you'd like to uh, discuss? Uh, Yeah, I actually, I watched a shitload of movies lately. Um, I saw Looper, which was great, and it's getting a lot of good press, so it doesn't need me to stand up for it. 
um, Looper, that's the time, the time travel action movie mm-hmm. with Bruce Willis and Joseph Brian Johnson directed. Two Sam break. goes back in time for yeah. Looper. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Um, but I was going to recommend a movie called The Tall Man, a Jessica Biel starring horror thriller, mm-hmm. which you immediately think that sounds terrible. Well, I, I think it sounds like a phantasm movie. <clears throat> And I, yeah, that's the thing. Like everybody knows, I'm a fan of tall men in their various <laughs> forms. Uh, but it's it's a it's a it's a horror movie set in the Pacific Northwest, and it is by a director who directed Martyrs, which is a French mm, yeah. uh, is ultra ultra gore movie. Yeah, and um, it it's hard to really talk about the movie too much without kind of talking about a relatively important twist to it. But he turns out he's short. That's <laughs> the thing. You would never have guessed it. But uh, I think, as other reviewers have said, this is easily the best performance you're ever going to see uh, of Jessica Biel, and not that many people are going to see it. But it's uh, it's great. It's very atmospheric, and I recommend it. The Tall Man. Uh, I saw two movies that I enjoyed fairly well recently. I watched... Uh, Wanderlust, which was written by uh, Ken Marino and David Wayne and directed by David Wayne. He loves those guys. Uh, yeah, I like them. I like starred, the state guys. Starred Paul Rudd and Jennifer Aniston. Ooh, you got a bunch of... Deal breaker. Uh, which one? Uh, Wait, all of them. You don't like Paul Rudd? No, <laughs> no he's fine. And Jennifer Aniston's fine. Uh, and it's got... Uh, <laughs> I know, guess the deal wasn't broken. <laughs> it's got a lot of uh, you know like supporting actors that you know from comedy. You got your uh, Joe Latruglio. Uh, also in the state. Also, Ken Moreno has a small part in it. State. Uh, uh, Carrie Kinney. State. Also from the state. Uh, Malin Ackerman. Um, Watchmen. Alan, Alan Alda is in it. The state. Uh, <laughs> Key and Peele have parts in it. Key and uh, Peele. Lauren Ambrose. Um, the state. Anyway, <laughs> she was not. But uh, it's a movie that uh, loses its way a little bit in the middle. Like it, it, Once it starts getting into... It wanders a little. Well, one... Once it starts getting into plot machinations, it gets a little less interesting. The first thirty minutes of it, I was convinced I was watching, you know, a, like a really great comedy that had just somehow slipped through the cracks, like the way that Wet Hot American Summer got a bunch of bad reviews when it came out, but was amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would say that the first thirty minutes are really good, and then the rest of it is just an acceptable comedy. But it, it's a lot of fun. It's better than the mediocre reviews would suggest. If you like the state people at all, I would suggest checking it out. Uh, and I also actually saw Dread, and I uh, was surprised to find that I enjoyed that movie. It, not surprised at all. It uh, it <laughs> it felt like a bit of an early John Carpenter movie, or maybe a Walter Hill film. It it uh, it was a just a solid straight ahead uh, science fiction action film that. The advantage of it was it kept the focus very small. It was about uh, Judge Dredd and his trainee uh, being trapped. Judge Judy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> being trapped in this one building and having to make their way through the floors of that building. Uh, a la The a, Raid, a, colon, Redemption. Yeah, I, yeah. Hear the, I hear it's a very similar plot line. But, uh, but keeping the focus very small, I think, made it into a focused science fiction B movie, the kind that you don't necessarily see. That As opposed much. to the Judge Dredd Sylvester Sloan movie, which is like a sprawling, over overblown type of thing. Yeah, a beautiful epic. So I enjoyed both yeah, of those. Yeah, it's, it's a chronicle of Riddick. <laughs> Liked them both. You know what? I'll continue the theme of re- recommending two movies, but I'll do it quick. 
Uh, one is if the Raven has interested you in in seeing a an Edgar Allan Poe related movie, don't go see the Raven. Instead, I would recommend The Mask of the Red Death, the Roger Corman Vincent Price film. I would go out on the limb and say the best of Roger Corman's movies. I'd maybe put it up there. I'd maybe tie it with Bucket of Blood, uh, in my opinion, and the best of the Edgar Allan Poe movies they made together by far. There are times when it reaches a sort of poetic beauty, and there are also some really ridiculous moments that are stupid that are kind of fun. But uh, overall, it's really good, and embedded in the movie is an adaptation of Hop Frog, the story Dan was hoping to see in The Raven but didn't. So The Mask of the Red Death with Vincent Price I would very highly recommend. And also, uh, I just saw this past week, a classic of world cinema that had passed me by for some reason, uh, Herzog's Aguirre, The Wrath of God, which I realized I had never actually seen. So I watched it, and it was really good. I liked it a lot, and I liked The Mask of the Red Death a lot, so I'd recommend both of those. So guys, Shocktober, halfway done. (sighs) That's too soon. Oh, and and we halfway done it with the Raven. Man, I want to see some fucking ghosts or some like backwoods cannibals or yeah, something. Yeah, scary next stuff. Time. Come on, let's do some scary movie next. Enough time. of this highbrow shit, you know. <laughs> like the Fuck Raven. This shit. Enough of this highbrow highbrow garbage. Like Edgar Allan Poe stopping a serial killer. <laughs> All right. Well, let's just stay tuned till next time. Maybe okay. you'll be totally scarified. <laughs> Are you holding out hope? And I don't know if you're hitting on me, but I guess I'm cool with it. Whatever, man. If so, the answer's yes. <laughs> so, well, until next time, I've been Dan McCoy. And I've been Stuart Wellington. And I've been Elliot totally scarifying Kalen. But not really scarifying. Just, pl- you know, friendly, pleasant, nice to be around. Mm-hmm. Don't be scared. Please, don't run. No, no, this hideous visage. Oh, <laughs> separating me from the rest of humanity. God damn them all. I'll destroy them. There's a bit of acting. <laughs> Still part of your one-man show, right? Yeah, well, I lived on the same block as a mad scientist with a disfigured face. <laughs> Didn't have an accent, though. That was weird. No, well, I have to workshop the accent. He was also Irish and Australian. Um, a little bit of Japanese in there. Good night. Moon blood good then, huh? <laughs> good fright, Dan. Good fright. Yeah, so you guys are gonna you guys are gonna be there for the midnight show with me, right? Don't think so. You fucking turds. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know why we're turds because we're not gonna go see the Hobbit at midnight with you. It's gonna be super fun. We're gonna get all, we're gonna wear our PJs and get in line. <laughs> <laughs> Wine? No, we're, no, gonna, we're getting in line. I mean, we can get PJs. wine too, dude. If that's <laughs> the fucking wine just put it, you hide it in your PJs. <laughs> yeah, man. So the first thing you do is you take a Gatorade bottle, okay? You pour that shit out, pour it all over the street. Then you fill that shit, you fill the bottle, the plastic bottle, with a bunch of wine. Carlo Rossi, I'd probably recommend because you can get a shitload of it. Then what's the drinking game? When do you drink? Whenever you see what, a Hobbit? No, you just drink it because it's good and you're watching an awesome movie called The Hobbit. <laughs> and I'll expect a journey.